Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Starring Woody Harrelson, Harris Dickinson, Dolly DeLeon, and Charlie B. Dean, and from the distributors that bought you Parasite, Triangle of Sadness is the outrageous Palm Door winning comedy from Ruben Ostland that sees the wealthy guests of a luxury yacht and the staff on board in a tale of class clashes and role reversals. Among the super-rich patrons are the couple Carl and Yaya, two models and social media influencers who have been invited on a free trip to show off the kind of lavish lifestyle many can only dream of. Captured in cinemas nationwide from the 28th of October, Triangle of Sadness is a Curzon release. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Hannah Strong. On the show this week, a friendship comes to a brutal end in Banshees of Inish Erin. Even with an issue on sale, there's still more to unpick in Park Chan-wook's decision to leave. And on Film Club, it's his earliest revenge tale, Old Boy. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Live podcast. So, welcome Little White Lies team. How is everything going with the new issue? It's going. It's going. Um, it's a cracker. Very excited. I, 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 I think it's a cracker. I'm getting into a bit of sort of insider mag production lore. I, I'm trying to think back, but and, and I can't think of an issue that we've... It feels like we're going very close to the wire. Like, <laughs> everything has come together very late for this issue, and... and I think to to get it up to our kind of usual high standards that we have set for ourselves, it's been it's been challenging, shall we say? I, d- I don't want to use a, a a curse word in front of that word challenging, but I, ho- I hope the, the the listeners can intimate and, and add their own. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously not giving anything away, but having heard a little bit about the contents, I think this is going to be an absolute banger. Um, the film itself is a very exciting choice. But yeah, you've got loads of other fabulous interviews and stuff in there as well. I, I'm really excited for it. And you you both have incredible interviews in this issue. We won't, let's not say who, but I'll say Hannah has three absolute bangers. And like Layla, you've got a, a massive interview with a total legend who, who, is on, who is on absolute top form. Yeah, having seen the outtakes from that interview as well, I, I, I was chuckling at the outtakes. So I'm very excited. <laughs> like, I liked it with Little White Lies because obviously there's a chance of spoiling it for myself if I read everything. So I try and keep some things like, you know, I try not to see some things in the process of proofreading everything. But yeah, I'm, uh, it, it's nice when we can be just as excited about reading things as the readers can. <laughs> I'm very excited for when it finally reaches um, my hands and drops through my letterbox. But yeah, we, I mean, we're still in decision to leave uh, issue and that's only now <laughs> just out this week. So, I mean, 
what better time to Hooray. pick one up i suppose indeed yeah i mean this this is this has been a really successful issue for us and people have really thought like I, I, you know we'll get maybe we'll get on to it a bit later but the film feels like a kind of maybe a bit of a watershed for park in terms of his connection to a, a sort of what slightly wider audience and i think it's interesting we're covering old boy and decision to leave because i think you, you we're seeing the two poles of his career I, I i guess or maybe the sort of like not poles of his career but like the two thematic starting points that you feel like maybe this could be a new era for him and his work well before we get on to that we've got Another wonderfully titled film. I, I have to say, just Decision to Leave. It's such a, a snappy little one. It evokes so much and then it takes on so much meaning with the next one. But yeah, what beats Banshees of Inner Sharon as well? Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. On a small island off the coast of Ireland, while the civil war rages on, another conflict arises between two friends when one of them abruptly ends their friendship. So Hannah, I saw this with you in uh, Venice a, a few weeks ago. Feels like many years ago that we were in the sunshine drinking our Aperol spritzes and talking about Martin McDonough. Yeah, this was one that I think there was a really, really kind of positive reaction to. I mean, I've, there were some likes, but basically everybody loved this. I don't think I've spoken to a single person who has like a vehement negative take on it even the kind of because obviously it's last film three billboards outside ebbing missouri it was quite polarizing i think but even some of the real people that hated that film have said oh no actually i really liked banshees of inner sharon i think it's the only this i mean this is quite a hard stat to quantify but the only four festival premiere that has still got 100 percent on rotten tomatoes I mean, that might change this week, but I think that's pretty impressive considering people at festivals like to kind of have their like hot take. So it's potentially on track to be his kind of best received film. And I was just so excited to see Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson again, like after In Bruges, one of the all time great screen pairings. I knew we were going to get a great press tour out of them. So, yeah, I was very much as soon as this was announced, I was so excited and I was not let down. I, I absolutely love this film. I uh, feel like I've made myself like de facto expert on it because I've spent so so many weeks kind of like banging on about it. But yeah, I was very much in a tank for it and very happy that um, I liked it a lot more than I liked um, his last two films. Oh yeah, I definitely think it's um, it's Martin McDonagh's absolute finest work. I, yeah, I, I was one of the kind of hot take people that hated Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. But, and I... You know, Martin McDonough understands Ireland in a very kind of profound way. And so this sort of, you know, small town conflict on this island being actually quite an interesting allegory for the civil war that is raging on the mainland is, is just done with a lot of kind of intelligence and sensitivity, I think. Um, David, for you, what were the things that made this work? I mean, I know you're also a fan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. it, it I, I think that to quickly have my say on Ebbing, Missouri, I, I yeah, I, I think that was a film that I sort of saw and was appreciated prior to, to I guess, critics 
giving it a sort of deeper investigation. I think it's what Hannah was just saying before. It's like before the second wave arrived and and really were able to sort of scrutinise it in a way that was transcended the sort of festival hype wave. So like, yeah, I think it's a film that I liked when, I'm, when it came out. But since seeing it, I, I very much kind of like, you know, take on board the criticisms and think that there is like seriously problematic elements to 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 it and it's sort of depictions and things like that what's interesting in this film like that you know like what one of the things that ebbing missouri is brought up on is its depiction of the police in a very politically sensitive time in the u.s when the the law was being under quite a lot of scrutiny and i think that those two 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 sort of depict the this fictional depiction and the reality clashed quite hard and it's kind of interesting in this film that the cop character is like the one complete antagonist. You know, he, he is a very, very bad person on, on many levels, which we won't go into and which, are, which, are, you know, sort of amusingly revealed throughout the film. But there is a sort of funny part of me that thinks maybe he's sort of taken on or, or you know, he's, he's sort of noticed the criticisms about Ebbing, Missouri and thought, OK, I'm not going to really take any chances with that now in my depiction of, of police. But, but yeah, I think that the 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 key to the I mean Hannah has covered the fact that Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell have this incredible screen chemistry. They have a sort of Laurel and Hardy vibe to them, and in this film, and and yeah, it's it's kind of undeniable. And you just you know you you, you kind of hope that they do make a lot more films together. For me, I think the thing that really was sort of pleasurable about this film is the thought that's gone into the plot mechanics. Like at the center, you have this argument. It's like. These two friends on a little island, they go to the pub every day. One day, one of the friends, the, the, the kind of cleverer, more worldly one who is into, like, he's a songwriter and, you know, he, he, he's in, he kind of has an appreciation of the arts, played by Brendan Gleeson. He says to his, his sort of slightly dumb but lovable farmer friend, played by Colin Farrell, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. Our friendship's over. Please, you know, we're not going to do our daily thing where we go to the pub every day and I listen to you talk rubbish so the plot is essentially colin farrell's character trying to understand why he's chosen to do this because he he just cannot fathom why a person would would want to do this especially in the situation where there's so few people on the island he's essentially saying you you must live a life of loneliness now because i'm pretty much the only person you can talk to but I think that the beauty of the film is it is this kind of gorgeous sort of Swiss watch in terms of it, the, the way it's been put together and the way its screenplay has been devised. And he does these things, he sort of teases you in certain directions and he kind of does things to to sort of make you think the plot's going to go one way and that a person is going to do a certain thing and it's going to go a certain direction. And then he sort of like does a little two step the other way. And it's not like he's, it's not like, I wouldn't even say it's something as gauche as doing like plot red herrings, like, trying to sort of trick you it's almost like he's he's asked he's making you really question where is this going to go what what are we going to do with this and he places these elements you also have barry kean as as this kind of like vill- village idiot type if <laughs> that term is, is still uh permissible and then you have kerry condon playing Carla farrell's sister who is the sort of yeah she's a school teacher and she kind of wants out of this community so you know in, in a way She's also doing the same thing to 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 her brother from from a different angle in that she wants to leave the island and let him carry on doing whatever he it is with his little pony. So donkey, um, yeah, donkey, got, donkey. No, sorry, he's got a donkey they, and they a make, pony. They, he's got both. Yeah, but the donkey's the little. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, no. 
that is actually a joke in the film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that that uh, Colm, uh, Brendan Gleeson's character, can't tell the difference between the donkey and the pony. Um, maybe maybe Hannah should talk, should actually talk about the animals, the animal characters in this film, and they're they're the vital and importance. Yeah, animal I mean, characters they are. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish we had a palm donkey because I think that you know there was some stiff competition this year, but um, ultimately Jenny the donkey and Banshee's finisher, and I mean what a what a performance! I spent a great deal of time trying to track down the animal trainer for this film who found Jenny. Um, who? What's the word? Um, Wrangle when you just dis- discovered oh, okay. Jenny. <laughs> okay, discovered Jenny. Um, so uh, I had a lovely chat with Rita Maloney, who is a real like legend of the Irish animal acting uh, scene. She met Colin when he was doing Balakus Angel like years and years and years ago. So she had some great stories. Animals often get kind of not a historically great time in Martin Madonna theatre and uh, films. And I won't kind of go into details about that in this film, but Jenny is has some incredible moments and apparently by all accounts was like quite difficult to work with, which I always find, you know, very funny when we watch a film and then it's an amazing animal performance and then the actors are saying, oh yeah, the donkey, like the donkey was a nightmare. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, she's just, yeah, very, very cute miniature pony. Uh, miniature see I'm doing it now miniature donkey and there's a great dog in this film as well who um has a dance scene with Brendan Gleeson which I was very charmed by and I think this idea of uh, Colin Farrell's character being they keep calling him nice throughout the film and there's this whole thing with well what's wrong with being nice you know and the relationship he has with his animals is kind of so pure and so sweet and I think in kind of these very fraught times, I just felt this uh, this incredible sadness that this character was just having his heart broken. Uh, it's like that scene in The Simpsons where um, Lisa and Ralph go on a date and um, <laughs> she says that she doesn't like him on live television and you can see like the moment his heart breaks and that is pretty much this film. One of the genius elements of it though is also the fact that they have like I don't know if this is the right word, but they've enhanced Colin Farrell's eyebrows. <laughs> can they be enhanced? Which, which means... I mean, they're, they're, well, they, can you build on a well, 10? <laughs> he's doing some... He, I mean, it's interesting. Maybe, maybe uh, he's, they've, they've, they've been in, increased in size then. <laughs> I was reading an interview with him where he says that he doesn't even think his eyebrow acting in this film is that impressive, which I think is... Oh, is, right. is, is, is No. It's so good. <laughs> But it's it is funny because it's almost like they've they've anticipated that a lot of this film is going to be Colin Farrell standing there looking sad, and like what better way to sort of almost slightly mock that than give him like huge eyebrows? <laughs> he does look a bit like a sexy Sam the Eagle from um, the Muppets. That was that's how I would describe <laughs> his eyebrows in this film. But I mean, it's just, you know, it's a real joy to kind of watch two actors who are consistently at the top of their game and a filmmaker, a screenwriter who is so gifted with dialogue. And I think Martin Madonna really is, I mean, this is why his theatre is so great as well. He has a real kind of just command of, of the written word. And there's such a huge amount of melancholy and pathos in this film, but it's also incredibly funny. There were some real like laugh out loud lines and especially at Barry Keane and uh, Kerry Condon, like, you know, there is not a weak link in this train, Jenny the donkey included. And I think it's just, 
so solid. There's no moment in this film where I'm sitting there kind of wait, waiting to get to the next scene. I just, I've seen it twice now. I can't wait to see it again. It's just such a consistent joy and so smart. There's so much to kind of unpack and all the stuff about the Civil War. And I was watching an interview with Brendan Gleeson where he said, you know, if in Bruges is a story about two men falling in love, then this is a story about two men breaking up. And I just, you know, I think to be able to make a breakup film that is also an allegory for uh, the Irish Civil War is just, you know, like real galaxy brain stuff from Madonna. And yeah, I feel very... Uh, very unlikely I'm going to see anything else this year that um, I like more at this point, I think. Yeah. High praise from me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, one of my issues with, um, probably my biggest issue with Three Billboards was that I just felt that it completely lost its sense of purpose in the kind of final act. Whilst this, I think McDonough has such an incredible grasp over kind of the heart of the conflict at the middle that it actually really does build to something really intense that like really stayed with me and yes I've seen it twice I saw it again last night to, just to double check it was as good as I thought it was and and great news it is but we should get some <laughs> scores on it um Hannah do you want to go first in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect yeah um so I think it was a four in anticipation just because I was a little bit worried as I always am when there's a new art in Madonna thing coming out especially after three billboards but then I think think enjoyment and in retrospect I was very much kind of going back and forth on this when I was um writing my review but I think it's a, a it's a four five five for me I, I just love this film so much and granted I think a little bit of my affection does come from how much I love Colin Farrell and Brennan Gleeson but yeah four five five for me David what about you I'm probably gonna go for fours across the board I didn't really we didn't I didn't think we really got time to touch on it and it, maybe it's not really worth touching on in too much detail but i like i I think i was a little bit more skeptical about the 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 final act of the film and i've unlike you i've only seen it once one one lonesome time so i'm gonna stick with fours now uh just until i get to see it again but yeah this there was something that didn't quite land for me in this in the sort of the outcome of the film and 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 where it chose to go in its final act well Hard disagree. Three in anticipation, probably, because of, you know, three boards. I love his plays, though, and I was kind of, you know, tentatively excited for a return to Ireland. And yeah, five, five for me. I kind of laughed. I cried. It kind of made me think about the meaning of life. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and now I know more about the Irish Civil War. What more could you ask for? Next up, decision to leave. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. A detective falls for a mysterious widow after she becomes the prime suspect in his latest murder investigation. So, David, we you've got done a whole issue on uh, on this film. But what was it about this film that kind of warranted kind of that level of uh, investigation? Well, with my kind of magazine editor hat on and and brain plugged in, you know, I think Park Chan Wook has always been someone who whose sort of what cinematic world has has kind of intersected the the Venn diagram of, of Little White Lies. Some of his films haven't necessarily fully landed for me, but like they're all kind of you know on a sort of production design and and style level, they are like completely gorgeous. And you know he has interest in in interior design and wallpaper and patterns, and his films come with these incredible posters, and it just kind of seemed like a match made in heaven, really. And like I think every for the last few at least. You know, I've been going, I've been going into these Park Chan Wook films, thinking, oh, maybe this will be the one, maybe this will be the one. And I think we could have made like with his previous film, The Handmaiden, um, which ended up, which was a huge hit. I, I was like, that was a film that's like, it was like a kind of, I guess it's like a sort of whodunit murder mystery with this story that's told three times. And I, I remember seeing it and just really feeling it sort of ran out of steam and and, and left a kind of quite sour taste in the mouth. And I was a bit like, hmm. But this one, I was like, the first time I saw it, I don't think it necessarily had that. Like, it's a film that gets its hooks into you and, and you don't really notice it. You really have to watch the film, walk away and have a good long think about what it's actually doing and on the, the level upon which it's operating. He's talked about how it's a bit different for him in that it's a move away from the kind of sex and violence, the sort of heavy sex and violence that kind of characterised his previous work. And I guess that is the case, but it's still, a you know, I think in terms of the kind of complexity of the narrative and the, the fact that you just really have to be watching hard to, 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 to get what's happening is, I think, it, you know, he, he, he's not sort of betraying his, his ideals in, 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 a, in any other way, I don't think. It's, it's a continuation of his obsession with Alfred Hitchcock. Um, you know, he's made lots of films that, that, that are kind of either sort of homages to or refits of, of Hitchcock films. The most obvious one being Stoker and Shadow of a Doubt. But this one is, you know, it feels like his admiration for Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo is very much at the fore of both the, the fact that it's kind of mixing in this, essentially starts off as this murder mystery, quite a sort of weird and hokey murder mystery that then turns into this quite strange existential 
romantic melodrama where it's where it becomes about this relationship that's quite sort of awkward between the very clean cut cop and this femme fatale subject who played by Tang Wei, played amazingly by Tang Wei, in that you you don't really you never really get a sense of who she is or what or, or what she wants in the same way that Kim Novak in Vertigo is like there's a, there is a, like the mystery is the character and I think that what Decision to Leave does really well is that it cultivates this mystery that is just inside a person that kind of it is about this idea of like we can sort of hunt for clues and we can do police work and we can you know look for facts and try and solve things and discern things and and, and all that kind of stuff but ultimately it's the people who are the mysteries and it's the whys that we really want to to know about and decision to leave is that kind of film it's a why done it i guess rather than a whodunit. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm totally with you that, like, it's quite easy with Park Chan-wook to just get quite caught up in the surface of it because the surface is so gorgeous. And it's kind of, yeah, I think in this one, it's really not until the final act where you really appreciate what's been bubbling under the entire time. But, but Hannah, for you, you saw this at first in Cannes, and I imagine working on the issue, and, you know, it's so it's been a few months that you've been sitting with Decision to Leave. Like, have your feelings about it changed as you keep returning to well, it? Well, I was, a, I remember coming out of the screening in Cannes, and I think it was a late night one, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it was like a 7pm screening, and, you know, it's quite a long film, and... I remember a few of my friends were very kind of like, eh, it's okay, and, you know, quite down on it. And I was really surprised because I thought it was, you know, it was really wonderful. And they were saying, oh, I was kind of falling asleep a little bit. And I was like, I wasn't. I was riveted. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm delighted to say that a few of those people have since seen it again and said, oh, I don't know what I was thinking back in Cannes. This is, this is a great film. This is, you know, really, really good stuff. And I did feel like the response out of Cannes generally was a little bit more muted towards this film than I would expect for a Park Chan work but definitely watching it again gave me a real kind of appreciation for I mean we um, David just mentioned kind of how Banshee is of Inner Sharon is like a Swiss watch and it's kind of construction and I think this is another film that's very intricate and it really to crib from a, a uh, a nameless director who we may be featuring in our next issue it's a very generous film and it really rewards you kind of paying attention and rewatching it and putting things together and doing a little kind of detective work of your own. And yeah, I was just very taken with it. And I think it's, again, like <laughs> we're talking about two kind of very melancholy films this week. But yeah, it's a very romantic film, but it's a very sad film. And it's so wonderfully performed by these two leads who really... The performances they're giving are, are incredibly subtle and incredibly quiet in a lot of ways. There's there's no like melodrama here at all. It's it's all kind of like you say under the surface, bubbling away. And the thing that kind of did surprise me was that it's a very funny film at the same time. Like the opening is kind of quite comic. <laughs> we see these two detectives like scaling up this cliff to kind of go to the murder scene and. It reminds me a lot of Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder, which Park Hale has quite a small pivotal role in, uh, ironically, in that it does, you know, it manages to combine this kind of police procedural work and him trying to unpack this case with these kind of absurd moments at times. Uh, And the other thing I will, I mean, I could just list all day all the things I love about this film, but the way that 
Park Chan-wook uses like technology in this film, particularly like iPhones and or are they just smartphones? I'm not sure if they're iPhones or not. And text messaging and voice notes is the first time maybe ever that I've seen someone using smartphones in a film and not feel like really cringy and kind of how do you do fellow kids? It feels like so kind of seamless and intelligent in this film. We get a shot that's like from inside the screen of a smartphone. And yeah, it's just a really intelligent and gorgeous film about communication and about sometimes the kind of impossibility of of communicating with someone even if you have very very deep feelings for them yeah I mean what is there more to say than that I I just I saw I took my husband to the screening and I remember just coming out and fit and just saying that you know like a feast we have just been given a feast like so many moments of this are just so creatively done so beautifully composed First has always been my favourite Park Chan work, but this is this is a strong second place. David, do you want to get some scores on this? I, um, you know, it's a although it's the subject of an issue. I think it's a safe bet that um, all the scores are going to be pretty generous. But let's see where where are we going to range in between three and five? I'm going fours across the board again. I mean, this this is like you know this, but for both of these films, my fours are like very very high fours I'm, I'm being a bit uh, you know maybe i'm being a bit stingy in general but like you know i think it's a, it's a it's a great film i think it i i I'd probably say it's 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 the best part chamwick film having having gone back over his uh, over his complete back catalogue in doing this 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 issue weirdly seeing this film actually highlighted a lot of the things that i don't like about his earlier films and the the, the kind of hyperbolic elements to them which this one like i mean it has some of them but they're just done in in a in a far more like interesting and yeah delivered in a way that is just far more effective and it's funny that you say actually like yeah the comedy elements of this film like he's been going around introducing this film at festivals going hey you know if you if you feel the urge to laugh that's because i've put jokes in the film you know, alluding to the facts that his, you know, that he he hasn't made funny films in the past. I think actually what what the reality is is I think he has tried to make jokes in the past, and he you know, and his films are funny, but like he he has this kind of like sicko gross out humor in in his in his previous films, and it's all like oh I'm you know let's let's make a joke about a guy getting his head his brain smashed in, you know, whereas this is actually kind of like very like subtle barbs and 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 you know like humor to do with their their sort of disconnections and cultural rifts between them so yeah no i think it is it's definitely like a funny film but not his first yeah there is a threesome scene in thirst that i think is one of the funniest things i've ever seen hannah what about you what are your scores it's a four four five for me i think um the only reason it's probably a four in enjoyment is just because i have to really really think (laughs) when i'm watching a detective film um but no i think it's you know it's such a beautiful film and it's so elegant you know just everything about it like the costuming the cinematography the set design there's incredible kitchen in this film that i'm very jealous of there's like a scene involving um when the detective buys sushi during an interrogation, which kind of is one of the funniest scenes in the film. But the sushi set is just kind of, I don't know if this was something that was like specifically designed, you know, for the film. I imagine it was because Park's very exacting, but I want to live in this film. And um, you, you, it's the sort of box that you would expect like, yeah, a very extravagant bento box. Yeah, <laughs> and, and his assistant is like, why are you buying other good sushi? You know, he's like furious about this. 
um, yeah, this is what I mean about open right now. Very kind of having having very funny moments. But yeah, I just I love it. I, it's such a, a puzzle box of a film, and it's just so nice to be in the hands of a master when you go to the cinema, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. Speaking of uh, hands of a master, did anybody get the issue into Park Chan Wook's hands? Yes, one of our contributors, Joanne Lin, interviewed Park for W Magazine, and they asked him to sign their copy of the issue. So um, he has definitely seen it and by all accounts, very happy with it, which always good to know that uh, we've not totally messed something up. Uh, yeah, um, I similarly, I think I'm probably at a, a four, four, five. It, it's one that I, I'm really keen to watch again because I think as much as I did try and focus throughout it and take in as much as like humanly possible, I think there's probably a whole nother layer of film to rediscover. So yes, this is probably what I will be doing this weekend. Next up, Film Club. An average man is kidnapped and imprisoned in a shabby cell for 15 years without explanation. He's then released, equipped with money, a cell phone and expensive clothes. As he strives to explain his imprisonment and get his revenge, Ode Su soon finds out that his kidnapper has a greater plan for him and is set on a path of pain and suffering in an attempt to uncover the motive of his mysterious tormentor. I, I, so I remember first coming to this, my friend Kat recommended it to me and she kind of first said like, oh, it's got a twist and my heart sunk. And then she's like, no, no, it's a good twist. <laughs> and uh, you know, when, when does that ever happen? Uh, like, David, do you think that this is more than a film with a great twist? Well, I mean, it's definitely a film where unlike a kind of Shyamalan film or, or, or a lot of other films really with twists, there's no way you could spoil this. There's no way you could go on Twitter and spoil the old boy twist. It's so contrived that that when it comes, you're you're not even quite sure if, if it has. <laughs> like, I think it's an inter- definitely an interesting. Like, I think twist infers that it's a, like a sudden thing, whereas this is this is what would be a twist that happens over like <laughs> half an hour. That's just plot. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a, yeah. That's that's maybe just that's just sort of a slow <laughs> U-turn or a, a slow a slow turning of the of the narrative. But yeah, I remember when this was shown in Cannes. It was two thousand and two, and it was the year that Fahrenheit nine eleven won the Palme d'Or, and Tarantino was on the jury. And I know that Tarantino, like, I think, when he saw the film it, in a very sort of like undiplomatic way, he was sort of hy- like saying saying how much he loved it. <laughs> it was like, yo you should you should keep that keep that to yourself you know you don't want to spoil you know you're, you're kind of like spoiling you know the the other films and insulting the other directors but he was very vocally happy about that film and and park was awarded best director that year and as such a tarantino still in his very you know you know the hot hot commodity mode people were really suddenly excited by and drawn to this film it was this really big deal when it came out it was a you know it was like countdown to old boy <laughs> and um and yeah, it is. It is a. It, it, I remember seeing it. And it's. It, it, it kind of like you know. You you you're being told that it's like oh my god, it's got stuff that you've never seen. It's got like levels of violence that are off the charts, and there's there are sequences in it that you you know like that might will make you make you wretch. And it's like well yeah, I think it still kind of does have all that. You know there there is a famous scene where the main character played by Choi Min Sik, he kind of is is randomly is sort of released from his 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 incarceration and he decides he wants to eat something living 
you think, oh, is he talking about cannibalism? But no, he's talking about going into a bar and having a kind of live squid, which is a which is a career delicacy. So, you know, you 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 get to see that, and that's you know that's sort of like half an hour into the film, and you know, set, tone setter, big yeah. time. But and yeah, Paul it's a Trayman really like is a is a vegan. And, and that was the first thing that he had ever had for like many years. And they had to, and he actually had to go from veganism to eating a live octopus or is it an octopus or a squid, some sort of very horrible. I think, I think it's thing. a squid. Yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah, the tentacles are kind of writhing over mm-hmm. his face. The sort of story of the film is a guy is a, a kind of salary man drunk with a family. He's out one night and gets sort of kidnapped and he finds himself in this, in this prison cell that's decked out like a hotel room. He's not told why he's there. He's not told how long he's going to be there. And he and he's and, and this this is his kind of he's you know somebody is kind of torturing him. And then you know after fifteen years he's suddenly let out and is told you've got three days to find to discover why you were incarcerated for fifteen years. And that even just as a logline, you know, listeners who haven't seen the film, I'm sure that that's going to be a, you know, you'd want to see that. And it kind of delivers on that sort of, you know, he, the guy is like ra- rage fueled and then some. The, the remainder of the film is is his investigation and he kind of encounters this shady chap who seems to have some kind of Machiavellian hand in, in, in what had happened to him. And yeah, it's him sort of like trying to find clues and meeting people and beating people up with a hammer. And, you know, it's, 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 it's all there. I, Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm hogging the conversation here, but I'll, I will say it's not a film I love. Like I, I I think it's definitely a film where I think the idea of it and the to hear about it and to maybe to know about of the few kind of you know key scenes in it is maybe better than the experience of watching it, which is quite it's it's very heavy going. You described this decision to leave as a feast. This is like a kind of all you can eat buffet that's maybe but by the by halfway through it all it's all gone a bit cold and congealed and you and, you, and you're still <laughs> thinking well i, I want to get my money's worth <laughs> i'm going to keep going so <laughs> sorry <laughs> so hannah do you think this is more than just kind of a slovenly all you can eat buffet i mean i like it a lot more than david did yes i i i would say that's a that's kind of a unfair to way to describe it and i will say as well um that year it can like not only do I think Fahrenheit 9-11 has aged like sour milk, but that was a very weak year <laughs> for competition. Shrek 2 was in competition that year at Cannes. Um, so I think, you know, Park was kind of robbed. I think he should have definitely won um, the palm for this. Um, but having said that, no, I don't think it's I don't think it's his best film. Um, my favourite of his films is Stoker. Maybe now has been pipped to their post by decision to leave but um it's a lot of fun it's kind of a you know midnight movie go to the cinema you know go to somewhere like the prince charles in london and just enjoy watching it on a big screen you know it has got spectacle and the fight scene in the kind of subway which is certainly shot as though it's one take i don't know if it was filmed in one take is still like very impressive to watch and has obviously kind of been quite influential on other fight scenes in films stunts in films so I think it's kind of you know there's a lot to enjoy about the film but I don't think it's one that I necessarily think about that often I think it's you know it's kind of all there there's no real subtext (laughs) to this film it's all just everything happens and the characters tell you why it's happening and that's it you're like oh okay and that's the end of it but it is yeah I mean it's, it's a very entertaining film and I think it's definitely interesting that 
Park seems to have moved away from this kind of provocative, for provocation's sake type mode. I think he was maybe working in to films that kind of feel more intricate. And he, the thing he's kind of retained is this stylistic vision. You know, he's a very kind of stylish filmmaker and... Um, I think Old Boy is a stylish film. It's, yeah, I mean, I've said it's, it's, it is. It's just it's a lot of fun, but it's not kind of one that I would ever really think of as my, one of my, like, favourite films ever. I think, it's, I think it's a gateway drug. You know, you're kind of 16, you're getting into world cinema, you watch this for the first time, and then you're kind of like, oh, man, yeah. What, what's this all about? <laughs> it, it is crazy to think that there might be people watching Decision to Leave and, like, as their first Park Chan Wook film. <laughs> And then maybe deciding to go back and watch the Revenge Trilogy and being like, oh, okay, he's that guy. Yeah, I, I think I, I have a lot of fondness for this film, probably because it was one of my entry points into um, Korean cinema. Thanks, Kat. For me, it's sort of a bit of a film bro movie. I do remember when there was that thing on TikTok all about like, oh God, you know, a guy who tells you that, you know, a guy who reacts so strongly when you tell him your favourite film is Madagascar 2 and he wants to make you watch some movie about a guy who's been in prison for 15 years and then has like three days to go out and solve the crime and then he eats a live squid. And I was like, that sounds boring to you. That was like a real moment where I was like... I, I'm worried for the teens. I'm worried for the TikTok teens. They don't seem to understand what actual dumb fun is. Because the old boy is a little bit just dumb fun for me. But I, I, but I think kind of in all the best ways. So if you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, it's Palm Door winning satire, Triangle of Sadness. Henry Selleck returns with Wendell and Wilde. And on Film Club, it's more Woody Harrelson with Kingpin. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth in Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week, David Jenkins and Hannah Strong. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.